Good morning, everybody. It's uh, me, Josh, and uh, and I'm going to be sharing just a, a couple of thoughts from the book of James again today. Graham uh, shared a really encouraging message last week from James, and uh, I thought I would I would follow suit. I hope you're well. Um, continues to be a challenging time, doesn't it, for, for, for many of us. So, so I'm definitely looking for encouragement personally. And, um, and I hope you're encouraged as you hear these words from James. You know, sometimes the most kind of important questions that we might be asked, that we might ask ourselves are, are the most difficult to answer. I don't know if you've been in a job interview. I remember the first time I was asked uh, the question uh, regarding my own strengths and weaknesses. And you know, I'd never, uh, I mean, I was very aware of my weaknesses, but I'd never been asked in a context like that what my weaknesses were. And it was quite challenging to me to, to be able to articulate what I knew were my shortcomings in a way that was appropriate for a job interview. Of course, I um, I just said what Michael Scott from the office said, uh, said when he was asked what his weaknesses uh, are. He said, um, as I did, I care too much and I work too hard. That's a joke. Uh, but but I've, got a, I've got a friend who, who asks me uh, tricky questions as a kind of as a matter of course, and uh, I don't always appreciate it in the moment, but um, I'm always appreciative of the way that this friend, and I'll just be honest with you, it's Pastor Dwayne Van Buren, uh, the way that these questions that he asks me prompt me to kind of look at my life critically and to ask what really matters. And recently he asked me the question, what do you live for? What is it that only you can do? What is it that you believe you were created for? Of course, different people would answer that question in different ways. And, and I think there's a, there's a variety of ways that you could answer that question that, that would be right, right? That wouldn't be wrong might be a better way of putting it. I was um, thinking about that question with relationship to, to the Bible. Um, as I guess you'd hope a pastor would uh, this last week. And I was thinking about how often the Bible looks at uh, the lives of, of those people who it tells the story of. And it seems really often to, to, to boil their life down to a singular concept. Um, I think this is the case with Moses. I think this is the case definitely with Abraham, with Noah, with the kings um, of Israel. And that is, it boils their life down to the question of righteousness. Righteousness, it's a funny word, isn't it? And we might have some sort of idea what it means, but it occurs to me that, you know, if, if the life of so many in Scripture is being kind of um, examined on the basis of righteousness, if whether or not a person is righteous is so important to Scripture, it's important that we have some kind of 
real understanding of what the term means. I went and looked back at this term and it, it's kind of simple and complex at the same time. What does it mean to be righteous if the most um, important thing might be that you and I live lives that are righteous? What does it mean? And it seems to work on two levels. There's sort of these two interrelated uh, sort of facets of righteousness, dimensions of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about righteousness. And the first, maybe uh, you'll, you'll have a sort of an immediate understanding of, but it refers to doing the right thing with regard to God's law. Right. So when um, the kings of Israel are righteous, it's because they are obedient to the law, what the law requires of them in terms of the worship of God. And also really significantly as a part of that, how those who are vulnerable are treated. Right. And you know that you've read the prophets, you've you've heard them preached about that to be righteous is to be obedient to the law and particularly to be obedient to the law with regard for the widow, the orphan, the refugee and so forth. So there's this one dimension of righteousness being right before the Lord, doing the right thing, doing justice. But then this other dimension, I mentioned there were two, this other dimension of righteousness concerns being in right relationship. And particularly, obviously, in the Bible, it's talking about being in right relationship with God. Of course, when we're in right relationship with God, that sort of sets a template, doesn't it? It sets a foundation for the rightness of relationships that we might have with others. But righteousness is both according to scripture, a rightness in regard to the law, but also a rightness of relationship. Um, I want to pick up uh, just the end of chapter three in the book of James. And it's this section where it talks about two kinds of wisdom and what it means there really is two kind of orientations to life, two ways of doing life, two sets of guiding principles almost in terms of how we can live our lives. And it talks about the first as, as, a, as a false wisdom. It, it says, um, you know, you, you, can, you can show uh, your, your wisdom and your understanding by living a good life. Um, but it says that there are those who follow a wisdom, a pattern of life, an approach and an orientation to life, which isn't good. It says um, if, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, so if you're, if you're living your life with a concern primarily for yourself and what you're going to get out of it, or maybe for, for those very close to you, um, if you're living a life based out of fear, um, then that kind of life is um, going to be at the center of disorder and evil, actually. It uses the word 
evil, to, to live according to a wisdom that is concerned primarily with the self is, is the cause of all sorts of things going wrong in this life. But then um, the author of James says in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, and sincere. Now he says this, and this is underlined for us right now, peacemakers who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Sharon and I are a part of a, a kind of a produce uh, a grocery, uh, what would you call it? I was going to say commune, but not, not a commune, a co-op. We're a part of a, like a farmer's co-op, basically. Um, and, you know, uh, there's, I'll, I'll start with what's not ideal about it. It's something we've done for years, but yeah, I'll be straight up. It's not perfect, right? It's not, um, it's not, it's not ideal in a couple of ways. One of those ways is that um, sometimes you get just weird stuff. I mean, Sharon's into really unusual fruit and vegetables, and you know, I I can I can be a little bit adventurous, but sometimes you know you just want an apple or a banana, not a a black sapote or a you know um, Sudanese. <laughs> Sudanese, Sudanese bat fruit or whatever, um, and, and part of this co-op is that, uh, like one of the one of the principles of it is that all the produce comes from within a few hundred kilometres. So there's just some stuff that grows uh, not so well close to us, and maybe farmers experiment with growing <laughs> bat fruit uh, or sapote to try and get some kind of crop going. So anyway, sometimes we end up with stuff from like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. You might end up with a heap of one thing, um, which, you know, can you eat uh, zucchini every night of the week and nothing else? Well, we're trying at the moment. Um, another thing that is maybe not completely ideal about it is just sometimes the 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 amounts are weird. So you might get 16 zucchinis one week and then you're hoping for a big watermelon you get this tiny little watermelon. Those are two of the things that I've noticed aren't ideal about being a part of this cult. But you know what is great is um, we have this connection now, like a real connection to the people who grow our food and it's it's quite a different experience from being able to just walk into the supermarket and get pretty much whatever you want whenever you want who knows where it comes from right we know where our food is coming from and we have some connection to to the farmers and and we hear that that is a great comfort to the farmers that they know that the people who are eating their food are aware of what's going on for them and, and it means that there's a bit of give and take. It's almost like we keep these farmers on retainer and we're okay if, you know, things don't necessarily work out um, and we might have to pay a little bit more every now and then for different things. Just in the last load of veggies that 
we got there was a note that said um, one of the farmers down in the granite belt who grows some of the fruit that we get had had their entire crop of apples destroyed by hail so all all of them gone pink ladies i think they were wiped wiped out and it got me thinking about um you know how removed we are really from from our agricultural life um, from the life that you know most of jesus's original hearers were living and of course you've noticed and it's been remarked upon i'm sure many times in your hearing how much jesus uses the language of the farmer to communicate the truths of the gospel and how much scripture is actually embedded in a kind of agricultural or agrarian life and and we see it in this last passage that i've just read don't we where it talks about the fact that peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness you know as i was thinking about this this last week um, it, it, it occurred to me how different sowing is from reaping. It occurred to me, thinking about that farmer who lost that entire crop of apples down Stanthorpe Way this season, how, how much risk there is involved at the sowing stage, right? There's just so much uncertainty. You, you can't, as a farmer, afford to begin to kind of count the profit you're going to make on your harvest at the sowing stage. The sowing stage is hard work, right? Inevitably hard work. Inevitably you're working all day, sometimes into the night if you can, to get that seed into the ground, all the while so conscious of the fact that so much could go wrong. So much could happen between the time of sowing and, and an anticipated moment of harvest that could dash your dreams, that could mean that that harvest doesn't ever come to fruition. Sowing time, you've got dirt under your fingernails, you've got a sore back, you're tired, you might be worried, you're watching the weather. You're fearful of, of pests and pestilence. You know, a wise farmer, and it turned out that this farmer from Stanthorpe had done this. Um, a wise farmer has a number of options going at once, don't they? So the, the pink ladies get wiped out, but they're hopeful that there'll be a harvest of pears after that. And I think, um, I think there's some wisdom in that for us as we think about the advice that we get from James here. He says, purity, the love of peace, if we're considerate, submissive, full of mercy, if um, we're, we're working for good fruit, if we're impartial and sincere, if we sow peace, then we reap righteousness you know sometimes i i fear that i take a bit of a supermarket mentality into this 
life, into the significant things of this life. I fear that there might be times where I sort of, I dabble in doing the right thing. I dabble in speaking encouraging words. I dabble in leaning into difficult situations and, and trying to um, create peace, be a peacemaker. I dabble in generosity. And, um, you know, the thing is when you dabble, <laughs> you don't necessarily always see those kind of consistent results do you or you can you can give up you can kind of you can you can experiment for two weeks with trying to be really encouraging to those around you but then when life doesn't turn out perfectly (laughs) you might be tempted to give it up if you know we anticipate if we think about uh the christian life as 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 a source of blessing, right? If we think, uh, if we think it's transactional, as sometimes, let's be honest, Christians can be want to even, even preachers can talk about the kingdom of God in this way. If we think about it in terms of, you know, if I do this, then God will do this for me. If I am an encouraging person, if I, if I sow a seed in generosity, I'll reap a harvest of, of material wealth. We're bound to be disappointed, aren't we? Because life just, it doesn't work like that. I mean, one of the things I love and I hate about the book of James is he begins by saying, consider it pure joy. And I better just quickly go to it so that I don't misquote him. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. The Christian life is, is not a life that is free of trial. It's, it's not a life uh, where we have a kind of a spiritual credit card and we can go to the spiritual supermarket and we can get whatever we want um, from God if we just do a certain set of things. Now, what James is saying here, and in fact, what the whole of Scripture really says when we read it well, is that there is a good that God is doing. A life that is really worth living lives into that good that God is doing. And that is a life of righteousness. And, and that's not necessarily a life of material blessing. That's not necessarily a life of physical health. That's not really necessarily the kind of life that we would choose in our humanity to want to live. But it's more significant than that. It's something that goes into eternity. It is a life that is right in the deepest sense with others and with God. I think if we are to take James's words here seriously and to take seriously, I believe, the testament of the, the whole of Scripture that is represented here, we need to be a people who don't just dabble expecting, you know, short-term rewards. Don't just dabble in good works. Don't just dabble in generosity and encouragement in peacemaking. But we are people who are committed to sowing these things across the course of our lives, day by day, hour by hour, from relationship to relationship with all people that we come across. And, you know, the encouragement that I want us to take from this this morning is that, you know, 
whilst crops might fail from time to time, whilst life might not turn out necessarily as we had hoped or expected it to, that if we are a people committed to this wisdom, this wisdom of being peacemakers, this wisdom of being pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive and full of mercy, impartial and sincere, that God can do a work through us which lasts into and for eternity and we will live lives that are truly good, that truly matter. You know, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of God's great love for us as we see through Jesus' willingness to come, to live and to die for us. We have a hope of living just such a life. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, God, I think about the challenges that, that each person who might be listening to this, watching this video, is facing. I think about the ways that their life might be particularly challenging at the moment. Holy Spirit, flood their hearts, their lives, flood their minds, flood our minds, our lives, our hearts. With your great love, empower us, Holy Spirit. Empower us as you can and do to live righteous lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working through your power in the lives of each person who, who wants you to in this moment. Working in your power to make them pure, to make them peace-loving, to make them considerate, to make them submissive in the best sense, to make them full of mercy, to make them peace market, peacemakers, Lord, peacemakers who will, who will harvest a life of great righteousness. Amen. Hey, I hope your week goes well. I hope you experience the Spirit's power leading you to live those lives. Bless you.